far as the show goes, I'm going to go ahead and read a bit of a script, kind of a primer to get us into it. And then, Joe, you and I are just going to jump straight in, man. Sound all right? Sounds great. All right. I did not have sexual relations with that one. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Build that wall. Build that wall. Build that wall. Hey there, and welcome to the Communications Breakdown Podcast brought to you by Campsite Strategies. Each week, we're talking to and learning from some of the very best in the communications business, trying to break down what's working and what's not anymore when it comes to getting our messaging out and earning people's trust and building brands, making your voice heard over all of the noise. I'm John Camp, recovering TV reporter with 20 years in local news. This week, we're looking at communications through a business lens. I asked my good friend and Raleigh stalwart, Joe Stewart, to help me host this show. And a little later, we'll be joined by two of the best comms people in the triangle, Amy Johnson and Tamara Gibbs. Both spent decades in TV news. Both now head up comms divisions at companies here in the triangle. And in our interviews today, we'll be hearing from Dane Huffman at the Triangle Business Journal and Jennifer Martin at Shop Local Raleigh. We have a lot to get to. First, though, Joe Stewart, my man with the plan, at least with a plan whenever you're asked to come up with one. Right now, you're the Vice President of Governmental Affairs at the Independent Insurance Agents of NC. Uh, You have worn a lot of hats, though, all of which have had communications as the through line, and we couldn't be happier to have you on the show. Can you give folks a really quick thumbnail on who you are? Yeah, hit the highlights, pull back the curtain a little so folks can know who they're listening to. Absolutely, John. It's great to be with you. Well, I've had a diverse career. You could say either I've done a lot of different things or I have a hard time keeping a job, uh, depending on how you look at it. But actually a Raleigh native, uh, went to school in Chapel Hill and then moved to Washington, D.C. for about 10 years, uh, working on a variety of uh, congressional campaigns and other political fundraising activities. Really, my background into politics was through fundraising and moved back to North Carolina in 1996 to work for a fellow I had worked on a congressional campaign with a fellow named Richard Moore at that point had been appointed the secretary of the Department of Public Safety and then in 2000 he ran for state treasurer and I ran that campaign for him came in as his chief deputy, uh, ran his re-election campaign in 2004, and then left the treasurer's office for an opportunity to run a trade association representing large property and casualty insurance companies doing business in the state. Uh, and then for a brief period of time was the political director at the state chamber recruiting business-oriented candidates to run for state legislative seats. Uh, and then took a job as the head of the Free Enterprise Foundation, a nonprofit, nonpartisan political research organization that did primarily for businesses the analysis and handicapping of the state's political landscape. Uh, And then most recently came on board with the Big Eye, the independent insurance agents, representing about 9,000 independent agents all across North Carolina on their state and federal legislative and regulatory issues. That's a lot to get to, bud. Let's let's, uh, dive into what you've cornerstoned about business over that time period, right? In your experience, what has been most challenging when it comes to getting some of the messaging out for the businesses and groups that you've represented? You know, it's interesting, having been a lobbyist for insurance companies, I used to always say that the issues that were most important to that industry were very easy to understand. They just were impossible.
impossible to explain. So sometimes the most important thing anyone can do, whether you're in business or not, is sort of step back and think about what's the best, most practical way to explain what it is, to make sure people can put their hands around whatever the issue is in a way that makes sense to the listener, not necessarily the the speaker, but the person who's trying to interpret the information to take action on what's being told them, it's important to avoid things like using acronyms or technical jargon. All of that stuff makes sense. But sometimes finding a great anecdote, a way to refer to something that makes common sense to the average person is the best first step to figuring out how to communicate your particular issue. That couldn't be a better segue into the interviews that we're going to listen to. We talked to a couple different folks, both of whom Uh, stressed the value of storytelling and keeping a story at the center of whatever messaging campaign you've got. The first interview we did is with Triangle Business Journal managing editor Dane Huffman. Dane has worn, as you know, Joe, a lot of media caps himself. He worked at the NNO for 24 years. He ran the sports department at WRAL, moved to WNCN to manage the news website there, crushed it. Fast forward to 2016, where Dane heads up, again, the TBJ's managing editorial area. Uh, Here's a clip from our conversation. We'll talk about it on the other side. If you were at a cocktail party and somebody said, Dane, I'm watching the Triangle Business Journal. I would love to get one of our stories in the Triangle Business Journal. Right. Right. How do they approach that? So we get emails all the time. We get calls and emails. A lot of it is, you know, we get to know people in the community. We meet people at events, that type of thing. But the one thing I would say, and and John, as you know, Keep it simple in your pitch. Like, what exactly is the story that you're you're trying to tell? What exactly is it that you're doing? And what do you want that news organization to do next? A lot of times, people write sort of long emails to sort of explain here's what their business does. We get tons of emails every day, so you really want to keep that simple. What is it that you're doing, and why is that of value to the readers of the particular publication? And those are the things that tend to ring our bell. Broadly, reporters that don't have a beat are always looking for people-centric stories. Right, that's right. Is that also true in the business world, or are you guys looking for success stories and numbers? Well, yeah, it's a really good point. I mean, the the thing about it is you still want people stories, and a lot of times those business numbers tell a story about what a person is doing. But what you're really looking for is, what is it about this story that helps somebody else who runs a business make their business better? So what is it that your business has done? How are you growing? What are you doing? What have you learned along the way to help somebody else who might be a small shopkeeper in Carborough go, that's really interesting. I want to do that. I'd never thought about doing this with my social media. I'd never thought about doing that with my website. I never thought about that particular marketing idea. If you're pitching a story and a news organization decides to do it, Tell the truth, be honest, be straightforward, because if you're not, you're not going to have them helping you again. So you could hear Dane there talking about storytelling and, again, building that trust. How does that resonate with you, Joe? Yeah, absolutely. The thing to most important thing in many ways to remember is that being a reporter is a job. And the context of that job is like any other job. Lumberjack, you keep the sharp end of the saw near the lumber. That's the way that works. (laughs) And when you're a reporter, you got to report true things. And so it's always important to remember that the veracity of the information that you're conveying is critical. And it's always possible that something is accurate but not true or that it's not true, but it's accurate. And it's important for a reporter to understand the context of of those sorts of nuances within a particular subject matter. 
think being straightforward, being honest is critical. And lay it out in a way that gives the reporter an opportunity to try to understand what the interest within the story might be relative to what they want to report. The thing that you think is important about a particular issue may not be what's reportable. So give the reporter the full buffet and let them figure out what are the particular aspects of it that might make sense for them to put the story around. That makes a lot of sense. We, we also wanted to see what business communications looked like at a ground level. And one person with a great cat perch on that is the executive director at Shop Local Raleigh, Jen Martin. She and her team help broaden the footprint of local businesses. They do a lot of work connecting businesses with the media. She had some very interesting insights about how small businesses can boost their brand and tell their story. Here's part of that conversation. When they come to you and say, we, we want to expand our brand, we want to expand our footprint, we have this neat thing coming up, we want it to be in the news or close to it, what do you tell them? You know, a lot of times it's not so much that they are looking at that from at that angle, it's they have a story to tell and don't realize they have a story. So a lot of times it's us being aware of the opportunity and potential that, that there's, that's right there for them and how can we help craft that message to local media and share their, so to get their story out there, to get that message out there. Now there's the flip side when they do come to us and they want to know, the first thing I ask them is how have you tried to tell your story already? And a lot of them, you know, they, they, either they haven't or what they haven't done is they haven't made it unique. So then my next question is, is what are you doing to differentiate yourself? Why is your story different from anyone else? And I think those are the big things that people forget to hone in on sometimes is you can't be just doing what everybody else is doing. It's got to be different and unique. How do you pull that out of people? You know, a lot of times it's just through conversation. We do, when we onboard a new member, a new business, a lot of times we're going out there and we're meeting with them or we're talking on the phone with them. Tell us about who you are, about what you're doing. And truly, I'm fascinated with it. People want authentic. They want to hear um, speak, people speaking truth. And I think it's just it's the small coaching and teaching them, hey, you know, just tell your story. Just be you. Act as if we're sitting around a dinner table telling your story. How important is, uh, in your experience, anyway, video, pictures, additional content besides text? You know, I think right now we are in that society as well where photo is just, it, it's critical that if it's not a good photo of your business or your product or what you're selling or doing, don't put it up there. It's okay just to, to miss that opportunity to put it up there. Um, you've got wonderful free editing apps and tools, but photos, photo is what is our society is going to, we're very engaged in the visual and seeing the, the opportunity, seeing the experience. And a lot of times people say, well, I don't have anything to post. And I'll say, well, did you make an omelet this morning? Did you make? Well, yeah. People want to see that. And so a lot of times I'll tell people, go watch YouTube videos. Go watch what other people are doing. We have a YouTube channel with business owners on I said, go watch them. Go just watch and see and then practice with yourself. Do selfies on your phone. You know, talk, do short little videos talking to your phone. We have that luxury now that we didn't have 10, 20 years ago. Should, should everybody be doing that? that why not? Of, uh, getting out there on social, talking to yeah. the camera. And Why? I think, and it's you don't have to publish it. You can go ahead and get comfortable with yourself, talking into your phone, talking into creating these short videos. Because I hear all the time, I don't like the way I look, or I don't like um, the way I sound, I don't like the way my face looks a certain way. But okay, that's that's okay because we're going to be our own worst critic. So find how you can get more comfortable with yourself. Use that video to do it. But you know, I'm that, that one, probably the one person too though, that if you want me to know what you're doing in your business, I'm not gonna see it on social. Okay. I'm busy, I don't have time. Now there's a lot of people that do, but and people in the media industry, sure they can sit out there and look and scroll as well, but they're busy and there's a lot of people on social. Right, so, so how do you to, get out, out of that? You know, I'm a big fan of all the above. 
putting it on social media, still doing the old-fashioned email, doing, you know, if you have to do a phone call, and then big-time networking. Find out who knows contacts that can help you. Get your story to them and make sure that they're as passionate about your business as you are, and then that way they can help be a voice for you and help guide you. So there's a lot to unpack in there. What stood out to you? You know, I think the most important thing she said is to practice, is to make yourself comfortable in this. Um, you know, an exercise a reporter told me one time I have found invaluable in my career, as you're driving your car, describe what the functions on the dashboard all do. And practice it over and over and over until you so clearly and articulately describe each feature that you refine your ability to take what is, relatively speaking, a complex thing and break it down into the simplest possible explanation of what it does. People be, you know, uncomfortable many times in, in these sorts of situations where they're having to convey information that's critical to them, either it's important to their business, to their bottom line, or to them personally, and they feel inadequate because they're really not prepared. I think the smartest thing she said is to make yourself comfortable in that situation, you really need to practice. I love the idea that authentic is in. To me, that really resonated that people want to hear stories that are true and that have some kind of relevance in their day-to-day lives. And the only way to get that is by telling your story and being authentic in telling it. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll be joined by two more communications connoisseurs for a lively discussion on business comms, where we are, where we're going, what's working, as well as what's not. We'll play some games to get to the heart of it all and wrap up this communications breakdown as every week with anything else. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Communications Breakdown is brought to you by Campsite Strategies. Campsite helps companies, nonprofits, and political types tap into their core strengths to pull out their very best stories for maximum impact. Leveraging deep relationships in the media, Campsite's Emmy-winning team of problem solvers and storytellers treats every client like it's their only client. Whether you want your story captured, told, and sold to the world, or you're in the fight of your life feeling like David and need help figuring out which stones to throw, Campsite can help. Campsite will get the right information to the right people at the right time, and that can make all the difference. If you've got a problem, odds are a good communication strategy will be key to solving it. Campsite will get you there. All right, we're back with Communications Breakdown. I'm John Camp, joined this week by co-host Joe Stewart, setting bow tie fashion in Raleigh for decades and bringing smart, interesting people together for much longer than that. We're also joined by a new set of panelists, and frankly, for this conversation about how businesses are successfully communicating and branding themselves, we literally could not have better, more informed guests. I'm talking about Tamara Gibbs and Amy Johnson, both worked at ABC 11 for more than 10 years. Is that true, Tam? More than 10 years or darn close to it? Almost 10 years. Just about. And, and Amy? You were, you were more than 10 years. Tam was a reporter, Amy a senior producer. Both left the news uh, in the last few years, anyway, to take jobs on the other side of the communications coin. Both are now comms directors in Raleigh. Thank you both for being here. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having us. We're happy to be here. Well, I'd love each of you to give us a quick rundown on what you do and broadly to get your sense for what communications means in your world. Amy, we'll start with you. You're the comms manager at the Governor's Institute. Y'all do a lot of work with addiction medicine and veterans groups 
groups. Uh, you do a lot of training and coordination in these efforts, and that's probably the best place for me to leave off and for you to pick up because those are not easy topics to communicate around. So who are you trying to reach within that, and, and how are you doing it? Well, let me start by saying that I've been in my current position for about a year now, so I'm still learning as I go. Um, but it has been really fun taking a lot of the strategies that I've learned in news and applying them to our own digital plan. We've done a lot of testing over the past several months, so it's been really cool to see what's paying off. So who are we trying to reach? I think it's a little difficult for us at the Governor's Institute because we have two distinct audiences. Our addiction medicine conferences are geared toward doctors and healthcare professionals, but obviously our veteran initiatives are for veterans, service members, and their families. So once we figure out exactly who our audiences are, then we figure out where they are and we try to target them there. So our medical professionals seem to follow us on LinkedIn, whereas like with veteran events and things, those posts seem to do really well on Facebook. Tam, let's turn to you. Uh, we go back just about as long as Amy and I do, about yeah. 10 years. Uh, for it, first, it was knowing you to be a kick-ass reporter, uh, then as a kick-ass public information officer for a local sheriff's office, and then you went out in private industry. Uh, now you're heading up marketing communications. You're the manager at a leading e-commerce software company here in the Triangle. Um, you sent me a rundown before this show of what you do, <laughs> uh, your, your set of responsibilities, and I just think it would be uh, informative, helpful maybe for me to read those out. So your duties include facilitating media inquiries, writing press releases, pitching to the media, managing case studies, writing case studies, producing customer success stories, social media curating, I <laughs> love that one, listening, monitoring, brand management. And I'm just going to stop there because those, those are some of the responsibilities. It's a boatload. Now I want to talk about that. Which among those comms tactics do you find most helpful? Where do you find yourself? Where's your sweet spot? So um, I, I think that that's kind of the myth, right? That there's one item that's more important than the other. And I think what we're learning is that now that we're in this digital space, there really isn't this sort of one area that you can afford to focus on. You have to be able to do all of it, quite frankly. Now, there are going to be some areas that you don't maybe do as well as others, but there's no singular approach, if you will. Before we move on, I have one more question for each of you, and it has to do with your transition out of news. Both of you were steeped in local news when you just decided to leave it. You were at the top of your games, but if I'm not mistaken, news was pretty much what each of you knew as a profession. Uh, so how'd that transition go? How did your news backgrounds translate into more professional communications work outside of just the news and telling stories? Amy, you want to go first? Sure. <laughs> well, I think for me, my news background definitely gives me an edge on anything deadline related. I mean, as journalists, you know, especially me as a producer, we had, you have the day to get your job done, basically. Um, so to me, when somebody asked me to get something done, I tried to do it that day. But on the flip side, I understand that that's not how the real world works. And it's not exactly a criticism, it's just the truth, you know. Um, so for me, I've had to learn to slow down a little bit, not uh, give people time to email me back, you know, um, set things up. 
I thought it was funny listening to you talk about deadlines and stuff. Uh, a good friend of, I think, at least three of us at this table, a guy named Chris Hart, who was a photographer in at ABC 11, used to refer to the civilian world. <laughs> and, and, and he yes. would think of the civilian world as anybody who didn't understand TV deadlines, right, yes, basically, yeah, yes. or, the, or, or the tenacity of reporters and, and producers and people who work on those TV deadlines. Yeah. The transition for me uh, was scary. Um, I'm going to be honest, you know, news is a lifestyle, um, you know, when you can refer to yourself as someone who's in service uh, to the community and then, you know, anyone outside of that industry is a, a civilian. Uh, but that said, um, you know, once you get over that initial fear and you make the transition and you do realize that you have skills that are applicable in other areas because at the end of the day, um, no one's going to care about that you were on television. No one cares. <laughs> you know, no one's interested in, you know, you're real at that point. What people really want to know is can you write? Uh, can you succinctly tell a story? Uh, can you convey a message? Um, can you help an organization sort of articulate, uh, you know, in a simplest, in the most simplistic way possible, articulate its mission? If you've listened to the podcast at all, you know we like to play games here to get to the heart of what's working, what's not, how people are effectively communicating in this noisy environment. The first game we're going to play is called Which Platform? In this game, I tee up a series of events. You tell me which social platform, if you could only do one, you would post it on. In this first, in this first scenario, your team has just released a new study or report. In it, you have cataloged a problem, and you are offering some good perspective on that problem. Maybe a solution, maybe just perspective on it, but you're identifying a problem and you are going to offer some kind of perspective on that. Which platform are you going to post this on? Tam, let's go around the table. I, I believe in, you know, stick it all up against the wall. No, no, that's, you don't get to do and, that. Uh, but uh, <laughs> that said, I've just got a tis tis from the producer. Um, <laughs> business related, LinkedIn, you know, is probably a great space to do that in. Thanks. If it's something regarding our day medicine audience then we're going LinkedIn probably but I will say if it's a study on you know mental health issues or something facing teens and we feel like a lot of parents or grandparents are on Facebook so we get a lot of engagement there how about you Joe you know it's interesting my father had a great saying you can't knock down all 10 pins with a bowling ball you can only hit two <laughs> but if you hit the right two in the right place it takes out the other eight so to some extent, whatever the issue is, it may make a big difference, the sequencing of how it is you're communicating this out, which platform comes first. I know on advocacy issues, when you're trying to get a piece of legislation moved forward, getting a news story and then using the news story as the grist that you're sending out on social media is a far greater legitimizer of the issue than just pushing it out on social media. So to some extent, I always think through what's the right sequence to do this in so that I get the greatest impact with the audience I'm trying to influence. Okay, there's a lot of hedging going on around this table. I'm going to hold <laughs> you guys to a platform. Next event, your group is sponsoring some new initiative and you specifically want to reach lawmakers. You've got a good hashtag to use, doesn't matter what it is. You're going to think it's pretty catchy, it's going to catch fire, but you're targeting lawmakers. Which social media platform are you on? Joe. Uh, Twitter. It's the it's the currency of choice for legislators. Agreed. Yeah. Twitter. Twitter. All the way around the table. That was an easy one. Okay. You decide to put out a podcast. Who would do that? That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> you, you want to build energy around this podcast, excitement around this podcast. Which platform are you going to do that on? Now, of course, you'll do it on all the platforms. But if you had to choose one, Amy. 
Oh, I'm still saying all because it does. The more chatter, it, it, that can't hurt. You can't. Uh, oh, come on! You, were you pumping your fists I over love, here? Yeah, I love a disruptor. I just, I love it. She's like, no, all of it. <laughs> well, you know, to some extent, again, it, refining a strategy, and I think it's appropriate to shotgun blast out things that you're trying to draw a general interest audience in. The thing I always remember about living in Washington D.C. when you ride the metro, when the trains pull into Pentagon, Pentagon City, or Crystal City, all the ads in the metro stop shift from Macy's to Sikorsky helicopters because that's that audience the people that are getting in and off metro in and around the Pentagon are all defense contractor purchasers and so to some extent given what the podcast is you might want to narrow scope who it is you're trying to get to be interested in this whatever the content is by specifically targeting certain audiences through certain mediums I, I can remember working in politics I mean you sent a postcard to everybody <laughs> you know in the hopes that you got to the voters that were not yet decided on who they were going to vote for that they would vote for your candidate now it's possible to narrow it down and advertise on the TV show just the 200 people you're trying to reach are likely to watch all right let's move it along to <laughs> next game perceptions spot on or way off here's how this game works I'm going to list a series of perceptions that some people anyway have about the communications business I'll give the perception you tell me if it's spot on or way off. First one, local TV news doesn't like good-natured or good news stories, so it's not even really worth pitching them. Tamara? Way off. Way off. Way off. I mean, you and I have been in newsrooms, and granted, we did have our ambulance-chasing stories, but at the end of the day, you know, at least I felt our managers wanted us to find stories that people could relate to. I agree with Tamara. I think that's way off. I think that good news, it's all on how you pitch it. I think that if there's emotion around it and it's relatable and to the, to a wide audience, then yeah, we news local news loves good stories. Well, you know, news is a term of art. Sometimes the thing that you think is news is not newsworthy. I mean, there is a, a filter that a reporter has to put this stuff through to say it doesn't meet the criteria for me to want to report on it. The second is the thing about whatever it is you're trying to relate may not be the thing that's newsworthy. You may think this thing is newsworthy, but when you talk to a reporter, they go, actually, this other thing in this story is what's newsworthy. Yeah, so what I'm hearing you guys say is you can get these things through, you can get them on the news, but it does take a little extra thinking sometimes and a little bit of extra creativity to figure out how to sell them and how to make them sing with the news deciders, with the news gods. Yeah, there are a lot of stories being pitched every day, you have to realize, in the newsroom. They're getting a lot of stories, right? So make yours stand out. All right, let's, let's move this along. Press releases are dinosaurs. This is still a spot-on or way-off question. Press releases get deleted more times than not, and really, in that regard, are no longer valuable. <laughs> Who wants to go first? Well, Joe? You know, some of this may be that we're, that we're using the expression press release to convey a sense of it that we have, that it was a piece of paper that you sent by fax. And the truth is, a press release now, and this just happened to me recently on an issue of advocacy, a dozen reporters that I knew, I sent a three-line email that said, on this particular topic, if you're interested in talking to a source that can bring this perspective to the story on this topic, here is that person's name. That was your press release. That was my press release. And it, you know, it used to be it had to be you know seven to ten paragraphs, no paragraph more than four lines, and it had to who, what, where, and where, all that sort of stuff. The the point is, it's more like 
uh, it's not a release, it's an alert. What, what you're doing is respecting the fact that time moves more quickly now, and a reporter has less time to try to figure out the uh, eccentricities of the particular issue. But if you can legitimately and honestly disclose the connection and at least highlight what the possible interest that the reporter would have in talking to that person is, then it can be a simple email with three lines, and that's your press, quote-unquote, press release. And I would put that in the category of pitching. Like, I think that's kind of like a quasi-pitch press release, and I love the term alert because you're absolutely mm-hmm. right because that's the world that we live in now, and that's what gets our attention. You know, it's new, it's alert, you know, it's breaking. Um, I would say that... Press releases in the traditional form, you know, beautiful headline, you know, war and peace copy. (laughs) Um, You know, I think that is dead. No one's going to read a war and peace news release. No one. Uh, No reporter is going to, has time. Everyone's working off of a mobile device. Their thumbs are sore. They don't have time to scroll through (laughs) four pages of uh, of copy on their mobile device. But if you have a well-crafted press release with SEO search terms in it, um, you know, that you're going to have hyperlinks inside of it, it can be very effective in other ways. Uh, It may not get you coverage right on the news, but it could be effective in other ways. But I do agree with you. Keep it quick. Keep it simple. Reporters don't have time. They're busy. They're multimedia journalists, multimedia, you know, so. Yeah, when you hand it up to to a reporter, like, here's who we have for you to speak to, you know what I mean? The more you can give, the, the better the chance that your story is going to get covered. Another spot on or way off, you shouldn't post too many social posts in any given day. Well, it depends on what is too many. Last you know, question. For, for one brand or one organization, you know, too many may be, you know, every single day, uh, you know. So you can uh, post too many. I think it's possible to, <laughs> you know, for, especially on Twitter. So, you know, the idea is that you're not supposed to flood a timeline. Otherwise, that may turn people away. That may turn them off. It, it may feel like you're yelling at them. Uh, however, if you have a brand where people are engaging it constantly, uh, you know, and you've monitored, you know, when your folks are on your platform, you might be able to justify that. It, it just depends on how you define too many. What is too many for your specific organization and what you're trying to accomplish? I was going to say spot on on this one, only because we all have that one person who who posts too much stuff and gets a little annoying. But I do think there that comes a time when it does get a little too much. I don't know the exact number, but I think it does get a little annoying. Joe? Yeah, I, I think you have to strike that balance for fear that you project to people that you don't have anything else to do. <laughs> all you're doing is spending all your time on social media. I do believe in the small plates theory, you know, restaurants that serve exquisitely delicious food, but not in very large portions. You can't use social media to convey war and peace. What you need to say is, Napoleon showed up in Russia, next tweet, come to find out the winners were a little more severe than he thought, next tweet, you know, maybe I'll go back to France. (laughs) That's a good media strategy for trying to convey war and peace. But to lay out war and peace all in one communication, that's not the right medium. Last perception I want to get through is this notion if you only have a few followers on your social media platforms, it's not worth spending time on because only a few people will see. So if you've only got a few, there are other things to do. Limited hours in the day, it's not worth posting on. That's a perception that's out there, Tam. 
Here's what I would say about that. Um, obviously, if you're working on a lean budget, resources are limited. Yeah, you know, you're not going to spend the time trying to build up your 100 followers. In fact, I, I have a page like that that I've abandoned and I need to get back to. But that said, if I'm serious about building that base, if I'm if I'm serious about using that platform as an effective um, tool, then I might take the time to start massaging it, trying to build the audience. And it's not just about you posting items it's also about you following people that are relevant to what you're talking about and sharing their information so that you can in turn hopefully build that audience Ames. yeah absolutely i think this one's way off i think it's a marathon not a sprint and if you you really have to work at it to to get people to yes. engage with you one of the things that the obama campaign proved in 2008 revolutionary approach to the utilization of social media they were not focused on broad cast. They were focused on influencers. They found people within the milieu of social media that had big circles of followers, and they focused on those 1,200 to 1,400 people that a lot of other people were looking for. So I think in this question, it matters who it is is in your small audience. It might be that they're significantly impactful in broader circles that you're trying to reach as well. I love it. Okay, we're going to jump down to our last game here today, and that's Mad Libs, or more like a lightning round, really, designed to get to the nut of what makes you guys successful communicators. Uh, the first one we're going to go with is this. The number of times a day, and this is playing off what we just did, the number of times a day you look at or check in on <laughs> social media as a professional, not for your personal stuff, but uh, how long every day are you spending on social media, either in terms of minutes or times you check your phone? I'm looking at my iPhone because it will literally tell you. It tells you, <laughs> yeah. doesn't it? That's I'm like, you know time. what? If I pull up in my settings, it but will it actually... doesn't say what's professional, or maybe right. it'll tell you what platforms you're on. Um, uh, Amy, do you have an answer for this? I'll say about I think like five or six times a day. I'm checking, you know, for professional. I mean, and I, when I say that, I mean going to see what we post on LinkedIn. How's it doing? And Facebook and Twitter. You know, I'll check them all at different times during the day. You check five or six times a day. Hey, probably. Okay, Joe. Yeah, probably once. An hour. I mean, I use Twitter sort of as a as a news service, as a clipping service in many ways. <laughs> that goes back to the day, doesn't it? We, I, yeah, <laughs> used to, nice. I, back in the day when they printed newspapers, you clipped the articles and sent <laughs> them around. <laughs> onions That's on our belts. the news. It came on the Pony Express. It was delightful. <laughs> but once a, once an hour at least, just to check my Twitter feed to see if there's breaking news or something relevant that another colleague has shared. It's sort of like the ticker tape, the old ticker tapes that stock brokerage firms right. had. Uh, and, and I don't consider it to be a luxury. The, this is a part of my job responsibility is to stay current, and that's the best possible way I've found to stay current mm -hmm. is to check Twitter at least once an hour. I'm in it constantly. Yeah. I, I, I don't, honestly, I can't even give you a number. I mean... <laughs> my phone, my iPhone would tell on me How that I'm clocking a lot of hours. Let's just say that. Copy that. Um, favorite social media platform for your job? Oh, for my job. For Personally, job. I was going to say <gasps> Pinterest. <laughs> I could spend my life on Pinterest. Um, but I'm still a Twitter fan. I think, um, you know, that skews older. You know, and it is, it's a place where you can get news still, particularly breaking news, right? Uh, political stories, in-depth stories. I'm constantly finding more, you know, in-depth reporting on Twitter than anywhere else. Ames? Yeah, I like Twitter for professional, um, but personal too. I still like Facebook. I'm an old mom. Not too old, <laughs> but I like Facebook. How about you, Joe? Yeah, Twitter definitely. I find Facebook is a good way to evaluate public opinion. I mean, it sort of, mm. you get a fair share number of people taking pictures of their dinner and kittens and all that stuff. But <laughs> it's also a great platform to have people 
explore their personal feelings about politics, which is very interesting to me. It's a broader format than Twitter in terms of people's expression. If you have one time of day that you had to post that you thought would hit the most people, what would it be? It depends because you should be looking at uh, those insights that you're getting from the different platforms uh, so that you can see uh, where your folks are the busiest. I know on one platform in particular, um, I post at least twice a day um, and there's an early morning kind of slot there where, you know, someone's probably just kind of getting settled in at their desk at work and, you know, and so they're they're more active on the page. Uh, and then there's another where, you know, someone's more active maybe over that lunch hour. So it just depends. So you're looking out there at the analytics to see where you're. And, and you should. Are. I would encourage people to do that. Don't be intimidated by that. You know, um, you don't want to just post out in the abyss. You want to post at a time where you think people are actually going to engage. And there are tools, software tools, that can help you to do that. That can identify those windows. But you should be looking at those numbers yourself on each of your individual platforms. Ames. Yeah, completely agree. And by looking at those numbers, I think we found the same. Morning tends to be. It seems like when people are either waking up or you know just getting into their jobs lunchtime I think people look at their lunch break and then there's a peak in the evening as well for us sometimes like between seven and nine as people maybe get home and are just scrolling through you know this is probably not legitimately scientific but an old trick I learned as a fundraiser on political campaigns when you were calling people to ask them for money for a candidate that period of time, around 1.30 to 2 o'clock, they had just come back from lunch. They were a little more agreeable. They were happier. Food they were coma. Restful. <laughs> it was easier to get a yes if you called them about that timeline. If you called them in the morning, they were still hectic about the day. If you called them towards the end of the day, they were looking to get out the door. I begin to wonder if that's not a, a moment still in our culture where people are a little more reflective. The single worst thing you can do on social media is this. <laughs> Um, things that I've done, <laughs> confession, um, you know, misspelled words. Jeez, when that happens, you're just like, uh, you know. At least you can edit. You can go back at least sometimes and edit. in LinkedIn. Uh, mm -hmm. So you know, it does happen. You know, um, hopefully it's a, an exception rather than the rule so for, for you. you. It's misspelling. Misspellings, but also posting without images. That's useless. If you don't have an image, video, something attached to it, uh, on Twitter, you can use Twitter cards. Um, you know, if it's an article, it'll pull that up. Uh, or you can create an image, uh, obviously with Instagram, um, you know, with Facebook. But if you're just in some, my... Some it, kind it of visual. To, it has to have a visual. How about you? Uh, the worst thing you can do, I say, is get in arguments or go down like a fake news sharing you know, whole, uh, that can kill your credibility in a heartbeat. I, I still take, that's probably one of the things I've taken from news is check your sources, you know, where's it coming from? Is it legit? I think that's some of the, one of the biggest mistakes you can make. How about you, Joe? Yeah, I think taking it personally. <laughs> I mean, it is the <laughs> Wild West in terms of people's unfiltered expressions here or there. I begin to wonder if social media is not just a platform for people to use a derisive nickname for someone else that they've come <laughs> up with. It seems, seems to be about all the value proposition most people feel social media brings them. I, I think being thick-skinned about it. The, the other thing is also, I personal rule, I never fight. It, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, it, it's not a forum that... Uh, allows you really to have a meaningful discussion about a difference mm -hmm, of opinions. Mm -hmm. Well, let's go ahead and wrap up this communications breakdown. And we're going to do that this week like we're going to every week by asking a question that I think 
least Tamara, you and I asked at the end of every interview we ever did, and that is, anything else? Hey, did we miss anything? Is there anything else we should ask or should we should talk about? So this will be an opportunity for all of us, really, to kind of go through whatever <laughs> we think we forgot, something comms-oriented anyway that's got us itching and wanting to give it a good rhetorical scratch. Who wants to go first? You know, I would just say um, a takeaway would be just be very clear about the goals, uh, and, and know that your goals can change. They can evolve over time and that as they evolve, then your communication strategy has to evolve with it. And I would also say one of the things that organizations do that um, I think can kill your message, kill your brand, is is not having your finger on the pulse of the community at large, uh, whether they're, uh, you know, and whether it's someone you're that's following you or you're trying to target, but also having your finger on the pulse of the people you are trying to target and that they evolve and you have to evolve with them. Nice. Ames? Um, I think one of the most important things that we've all forgotten, and I will say myself included, is that one of the very best forms of communicating is listening. There is so much noise in the world. If we all stop talking and listen to what each other was saying, then we would realize that there is common ground. We do agree on a whole bunch of stuff. And I, that covers every topic, not just politics or whatever. My, you know, my business, your business. Um, so, yeah, if we all just... Uh, maybe closed our mouths and opened our ears a little, it would be better. And for that, I'll stop talking. Oh. <laughs> well done. Amy, that's a great point. I think you haven't done political research for a big part of my career. I always found the most insightful question you could ask someone is, why do you think that? Legitimately, give them an opportunity to explain the mm-hmm. basis of their thinking. What you find most often is they, they don't have any idea why they think that. <laughs> There's no basis for it. But I'd say that the, the two most important things, uh, communications is, is like the painting of the Golden Gate Bridge. It's never really done. By the time you get to the other side, it's just time to get started again. And so don't think of your communication strategy as being a checklist of things you did once and then you never have to do again. The second is, this is a very hard lesson, I think, for people. Sometimes your communication strategy has as its goal not to make people love you more, but to make them hate you less, just enough for you to be successful. And and that's a hard thing to reconcile, but sometimes people aren't against you. They're just for something else. And you've got to pull down that enthusiasm for the other thing just enough for your thing to be able to prevail. I love it. Uh, for my anything else, I recently got called out for sharing a feel-good video from a few years ago on Facebook. Now, this isn't the most important thing in the spectrum of things, but reputations are built in the margins. The video I shared, it was uplifting, it was inspirational, it was absolutely worth sharing, but it had made the rounds a couple times based on its lifespan. Here's the problem. It makes you seem out of touch, right? It makes you seem like you're late to the party. But more importantly, it's irresponsible. So here's how I think of it. The most valuable resource to all of us is time. Whether a person spends 10 minutes looking at their social feed or 10 minutes playing with their kids, the 10 minutes are gone. And so the less crap we impose upon others by putting it in their timelines, the bigger of a favor we're doing by not making them scroll through it. In this case, I may have still chosen to send that, but I would have pitched it differently. You might have seen this. It's an oldie but a goodie. And had I done that, it would have spared people who've seen it before from spending their precious time on a post they might have seen already multiple times and saved me from a reputational ding, at least in the margins. 
That does it for this edition of Communications Breakdown. Huge thanks, of course, to our guest host, Joe Stewart, our panel, Sammy Johnson, Tamara Gibbs, my business partner, Matt Duffy, and, of course, the John Locke Foundation, which is letting us tape this show in their studio. Big thanks as well to my good friend, Marcus Urani, and his band, Rising Tide, for producing today's music. Please like us wherever you find your podcasts, and if you like us, rate the show. It helps others who might be interested in sharpening their own communication skills find it. Tell your friends, add us on social, let us know what you found most helpful. We're at Campsite SC. You can also use the hashtag communications breakdown. We'll be back in your feed next week. Until then, remember, words matter, so take them seriously. 